This is Innovating a Bright Future. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Avery Kreiwald, with Innovating a Bright Future, where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technology driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. Welcome to the second episode of the first season of this podcast. I should mention that the show will be released once a week, and this episode is just an extra one for the initial launch. Today, I had a conversation with Robert Hoovers, the co-founder and CEO of Squad Mobility a company working on inner-city mobility powered by the sun. We talk about the problems with how we move around now and the solutions that can be found to those problems, especially Squad Mobility's solar-powered car. Apologies for any issues in the audio. He had renovations going on during the interview, so hopefully you can still enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, Robert Hoovers, the CEO of Squad Mobility. You have 15 years of business development experience, and now you're working on implementing small solar cars. Squad Mobility, the company you're the CEO of, is manufacturing small-scale solar cars that integrate solar charging directly onto the roof of the car that allows for complete detachment from the grid. Well, it's actually not small-scale solar cars because we want to offer them at very large scale. I think you mean a small in size, a very compact solar car. Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. We are making the first solar city car, what they call maybe internationally a microcar. First market that we're aiming for is Europe, and they have this L6 and L7 that is basically a moped with four wheels. Ah, Avery, what's an L6 and L7? Well, instead of making you Google it, I'll just tell you. It's not that complicated. Where North America has a naming system including things like small truck, minivan, medium compact car, the EU has a different system that classifies cars based on their size, function, and capacity. The classification of L6 or L7 that Squad Mobility falls under means that the cars are light, slow, and don't have a lot of power. And that's not a bad thing. It's intentional design that we'll talk about later. Vehicles that people might know in this segment are the Renault Twizy. Me and my partner have been uh, more than 20 years in mobility. We worked designing cars, motorcycles, scooters, mopeds, all kinds of vehicles in the south of Europe, in Italy, in Spain. I was one of the initiators of the Fiat Formula E, the electric worldwide racing series, now uh, racing all over the globe. We ended up together, Chris and I, at a company called Lightyear. And Lightyear was actually the first company that really focused on developing a solar car, a family car in the luxury segment. So we met there. Uh, We saw the possibilities of uh, vehicles with uh, solar integration. But we both saw a totally different opportunity, actually, than the the, the segment where, where Lightyear was operating in. We saw a great opportunity for a very affordable, very small car. In, in a city environment, the average speed is very low. Our car is a 45 kilometer an hour car. That's L6. And the L7 that we're developing 
is more towards 80 kilometers an hour, relatively slow speed cars, but in the city environment, it is uh, perfectly suitable because the average speeds in cities are uh, way lower. And because of that, the energy consumption is also a lot lower and the traveled distances in cities are also a lot lower. And therefore, it's very well suited for solar integration. So that's what we did. We will also produce these cars up to 20,000 in 2025. And we're now in the midst of finalizing our prototypes, which we will uh, unveil this summer. Well, I'm glad you brought up your experience with Lightyear because I've actually been trying to get a representative of Lightyear on the show for a while now, and I just can't seem to snag anybody. I'll just go through a bit of what Lightyear is. Lightyear, as you said, is developing a larger size family car that's more in the luxury division. It's significantly more expensive. It is a five-seater car, and it's meant to drive just like a regular car would all the way from highways to inner city. It's a little bit less specialized than the squad car, and that's where a lot of the extra price comes in. Where Lightyear is creating more expensive cars that can be used just like a regular car, squad mobility has really niched down that sector of solar-powered mobility into the inner city car. To start, why don't we just go through where does mobility right now fall short? What are the big detracting factors of mobility as it is right now? Solar integration solves some issues. Having the solar panels on the roof is only part of the solution, but having a very efficient vehicle, actually a little bit more important aspect, that's about the energy consumption. Having the solar panels on the vehicle also offers a lot of uh, efficiency benefits. There is losses in the transportation of the energy. There is losses in a lot of transformations of the energy. Sometimes uh, I get, why didn't you just have the panels on your roof and then charge the vehicle with the energy from the roof of, the, of my house? You should do that anyway. But I would prefer to use that energy for my house. And when I have excess energy, then, of course, one doesn't exclude the other. Panels on your car generates direct current, and the energy that you need for the battery, the charging the battery, is also DC. If you have the panels on your house, you generate again DC, then you have an inverter which creates AC, alternating current, uh, which you can use in your house for your uh, machinery that you have, you know, washing machine and stuff. Everything works on AC. And then when you want to charge your vehicle, you have to transform it back to DC to be able to charge your vehicle. There are a lot of losses on the way to your drivetrain. The other aspect is that you're not always where your house is to bring your charging with you where you are. So what we're actually doing is we combine energy generation, energy storage in the battery, and energy deployment, energy usage in one single product. Other aspects, uh, where do we fall short? The space in cities. Most cities cope with a lot of congestion. Uh, we choose our car to go on a holiday with the whole family, with luggage and everything. And then we use that same car where we can maybe seat five people or six or seven even, go to the city, to go to do some groceries or shopping. And then obviously we run into a space problems because these, these cars are huge, especially in European cities where you have huge parking problems in city centers. They cannot cope. So we need an alternative. There are alternatives, of course, like electric bikes. 
but you need a great infrastructure to drive or to ride bikes safely. So that's one aspect. And then, of course, you have the, the weather factor, you know, the cold in the winter, the heat in the summer, rain. Last but not least, there is a trend towards uh, sharing mobility as a service. You see sharing of mopeds, uh, sharing of scooters, you know, the, the little scooters, sharing of bikes, e-bikes and normal bikes. And sharing of cars is also kind of successful here and there. For most operators, it's not really a very good business case because these cars are not really made for sharing. And that's where we want to make a difference. We are developing the squad specifically for sharing. Easy access and easy operation. But it also has to be very durable, be very rugged. People are not so careful with, with the vehicles in, in sharing services. But the most important aspect of the squad is this solar charging. Keeping the fleet charged is the highest operational cost for a sharing platform with electric vehicles. If you have this, this automatic wireless solar charging, that obviously is a huge relief. So we can charge up to 20 kilometers a day. Most sharing services in, in this segment are looking for in between 20 or 30 kilometers a day, five to six rides. So we cover a large portion of, of that. And we foresee that we will reach in the future with improved efficiencies and improved yield of the solar panel. We can go to 100% coverage of all the rights of sharing platforms. According to Robert, mobility as a service or shared mobility is what the squad was made for. Mobility as a service is basically any form of paying to get from A to B. It can include things like public transit and Uber, but it can also include what's called last-mile transportation, which is the small trips that you make to things like getting coffee, dropping off at sports, going to the store, getting from your apartment to work. Last-mile has in the past referred to the distance needed to travel after public transit or parking in a parking facility, but for the purpose of this, I'm just going to call any travel that's within 10 kilometers last-mile. This last-mile transportation is one of the least efficient uses of cars and even public transit, so we need alternatives. The car sharing that Squad Mobility is targeting as its market is one of those solutions. You've probably seen the electric bikes or electric scooters in inner cities, and the Squad would operate in much the same way. Company like Lime Scooters or Squad Mobility will provide a rentable service. This is the car itself, which can be found at hubs that will include a few cars every couple of blocks. When you need that service, you will rent a car, most likely through a digital interface or even an app on your phone, and it'll charge you until you're done with the car. You wake up in your downtown apartment, go outside, walk a block or two to the nearest hub, grab a squad, rent it out, drive to the nearest hub closest to your work, drop it off, and you stop renting it. Then you rent another car for the way home. This system is going to be so incredibly important, especially for large cities in the future, because of the versatility that small, rentable, service-based mobility brings to reduce congestion, save money for commuters, reduce emissions from less idle time, and also make the commuter experience so much more convenient. You mentioned some of the things like your charging, 20 kilometers of solar charging a day approximately. 
So let's just get into what the basics of the squad is. It's about 25% of the size of a regular car, which, as you mentioned earlier, the space in city centers is one of the big reasons that you're developing this small solar car. That size factor of being a quarter of the size of a regular car, of course, means you can park four times as many vehicles as you regularly could. Like you said, the usability, easy in, easy out, two-seater car. Let's get into a bit of the solar panels, the solar charging. Like you said, the technology behind your batteries, they are portable and exchangeable. Also like the drivetrain. Tell me a bit about the key aspects of Squad. What makes it different and what makes it innovative? And let's start with the beginning, the, the, the compactness. If you could park the vehicle perpendicular on an average parking spot, you can park four squats on one average parking spot. That's one aspect. The other aspect is the durability. So if you look at the squat, if you look at the images on the website, the way we built the squat is it's actually derived from building mopeds and motorcycles, where the frame is part of the design. So we use a tubular full aluminium frame, so it's very light but it offers the squad a lot of durability. You know, in cities, vehicles sometimes just collide or hit each other, opening doors, and all these things happen in cities, especially in, in, in a sharing vehicle. And you don't want to have to go to a, to a car repair shop for every scratch. Another aspect for, for sharing platform is the cleanability. The vehicle has to be designed first and foremost to be cleaned quickly from the inside and the outside, especially the inside. All the inside materials are waterproof. Yes, the batteries. So we have we, we are using multiple batteries because also for private use, most people in cities live in apartments and they don't always have a charging possibility. So it's very practical if you be able to take a battery and just charge it indoors in your garage or in your apartment. We use 1.52 kilowatt hour batteries that are portable around the same size that are being used in uh, mopeds, electric mopeds. And we use four of them to reach our ma maximum range of 100 kilometers. And of course, the solar charging on top of that. So it's basically an, a whole array of charging possibilities. Swappable batteries, the solar charging, and then you have, you can also plug it in on a, on a regular socket. About the drivetrain, uh, we're using a double in-wheel motors in the rear. That is a solution, the most space in the vehicle, also for the batteries, and on top of that, the best efficiency. I know that's one of the things that Lightyear uses too, is the in-wheel motors. That's significantly more efficient than a regular motor. It saves space, like you said. I want to touch back on the batteries a little bit, because I think that is one of the components that makes buying an electric vehicle a little bit more difficult, is the charging especially in the inner city and for an inner city car like the squad to be able to charge in things like apartments and larger complexes where you can't just park outside and plug in is very important. So having those detachable batteries is going to make that so much more accessible to those people who are going to be your primary buyers. As well as sharing platforms. If you have a car standing somewhere that's completely empty, then you can just go there and put in some new batteries. It's operational again. 
You can have like reserve batteries. You can have batteries charging on the side so that they're ready to slide in right away. And then you can take out those used batteries, recharge them, and you're ready to go. Obviously, with all of the measures that are in place with Squad, the solar charging, the efficiency, the battery technology, everything that's trying to make it environmentally friendly, reduce emissions, and make it as efficient as possible. What are the actual measures of efficiency? If you measure the amount of energy that's being consumed by a squad mobility car versus that of a gas car or even a regular electric car, how does that measure up? So if you, if you look at a Tesla Model 3, it's using around 150 watt-hour per kilometer, where more towards 50 watt-hour, more or less a quarter, say the best electric cars. And that is partly because of the weight and the size. We are just over 200 kilos, so it's a very light vehicle. But the most important factor is the maximum speed. A squad has a maximum speed of 45 kilometers an hour, so that the aerodynamic aspect of the vehicle is way lower than, uh, say, a bigger electric car. So the energy usage is very low. Those numbers were kind of right. The Tesla Model 3, which is widely regarded as one of the most efficient EVs on the market right now, uses about 120 watts per kilometer, while the Squad Mobility car uses around 40, which is a huge change. And when you couple the energy savings with the solar power, the Squad Mobility car is far and away the winner on the money side of things in its niche. Now to compare that to a gas car, we're going to use the price because they don't operate on the same electrical measures of watts per kilometer. Based on the cost of gas, which is about 75 cents a liter, and the fact that you use about 6 liters for every 100 kilometers, the price for 100 kilometers of a gas car is about $4.5. Squad Mobility's car uses about 4 kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers, and a kilowatt hour of electricity is about 11 cents. So the cost of 100 kilometers would be about 50 cents. And that's only if you're fully relying on electricity that's not from the sun. These numbers are both pretty clear. If you don't need to go far, the Squad is a better choice than a full-size gas or even electric car. What about kind of the customer experience? This is geared towards not only those who are just regular customers who are buying it for their own use, living in the inner city, traveling to and from work every day, but also car sharing, ride sharing and car sharing platforms similar to that of Lime or Bird scooters. For these cars to be better and preferable to those type of things, the user experience has to be better. The protection from the elements, which is something that you guys focus on, that's kind of the whole point of being an actual car rather than a scooter. And then some of the other things like just the air conditioning, the comfort of it. How does that measure up versus a regular car? Is it still viable for people to want to ride share with this? So we offer the the, the vehicle with air conditioning. Obviously, the air conditioning is not the same level as as a luxury car. First and foremost, the energy consumption of such a huge air conditioning. So we have an air conditioning, but you also have to take into account that the city trips are, are short. You know, you're not there for hours and hours. Our main goals, all the trips that people are doing around the house, 60 to 70% of the average daily trips are shopping and groceries, going to sports clubs, bringing kids to school, you know, all those little trips. 
And they're all like 15 minutes to half an hour, maybe a few kilometers. That's the main focus of trips we like to cover. If you're traveling larger distances over highways or if you want to move a lot of goods, then you pick your normal car. That's not what we're aiming for. We are aiming to all the little trips, you know, doing shopping and groceries and all the little trips that you have all the time and every day. With that 20 kilometers solar charging, you cover a lot of it. Average usage of these kind of vehicles in Europe is 12 kilometers a day. So with that 20 kilometers, you know, you cover a lot. That's the niche of squad mobility, right? Is just to cover those inner city movements and even in the suburbs too, just those quick trips to the supermarket, quick trips to drop someone off at sports, all those things that can be covered within those 20 kilometers a day range. You might not want to be taking these things on 10 hour road trips, but they serve their purpose, right? And that is what it's designed for. And that's also reflected in the price. If you realize that we offer this squad for for 6,000 US dollars. Yeah, it's very much about the niche of the car. And squad mobility has definitely found its niche. It's right in the middle. It's what a lot of people are going to be looking for. So along with that, you mentioned that your prototypes are going to be released this year. How soon can we expect the squad on the roads? Towards the winter, we will have more prototypes for testing and validation. And uh, we hope to release the first batch uh, of vehicles uh, next year. That's not far away at all. It's not that far away, and it's a lot of work. We made the squad very safe. Uh, it has a full crash structure. It has a full roll cage. A roll cage, something that most cars doesn't even have. So it's, it's a very safe vehicle. But obviously, in this segment, which is not a real car segment, the threshold to make vehicles is, is still lower. You don't have all the, the, the huge amount of technical in cars nowadays. You don't have to do this in, in this segment. That's also uh, why we can offer it at such a lower price. Yeah, And the biggest safety factor is, is, is the maximum speed of 45. You sometimes hear that if you hit someone at 30 kilometers an hour versus 40 kilometers an hour, it can be the difference between just knocking them over and like, breaking some serious bones. So that speed limiting is a big importance, yeah. Throughout this conversation, you've been kind of alluding to the shared mobility type of thing. As I understand it, that is similar to the model of Lime scooters. Mobility is a service. You can kind of rent it out for a bit as long as you need, and then you return it. That comes through a service provider. You don't have to own anything. What do you see for the future of mobility, especially in urban environments? Do you see people owning their vehicles, buying squad mobility, going to and from work with it, and keeping it at their houses? Do you see it more as a service, like the Lime scooters, where you rent it out for a bit? Or are we eventually going to move into a place where we rely mostly on public transit, trams, buses, things like that, that we are eventually no longer even going to need cars? Yeah, I think all of the above. Well, to start with the last one, the public transport. Sometimes I, I get people that say, well, yeah, that's still nice what you're doing, but public transport is, is still better. And I always say, well, why is it better then? Because trains take up less space. A squad takes up less space per person than a train does or a bus. Sometimes I get the argument, well, a train uses less energy. Well, a train, I can tell you, uh, uses 50 watt hour 
per kilometer per person on average, and we use uh, way less than that. And then the aspect that if you use a train, we always like to say from Holland, a train or public transport goes from where you not are to where you don't want to be. <laughs> you know, of course, public transport is, is fantastic and great, but it's not always the best solution. It's very dependent on where you live exactly. The more you live out of the city, the more you live in the suburbs, the less public transport is available normally. You know, in, in an average city, 90% of the people live in the suburbs. You mentioned the whole uh, mobility uh, space, and, and I, I have to say all of the above. There will be a space for everything. Don't want to attract people off their bikes. We want to get people out of their cars. That's very interesting, and I think it goes along with multiple different aspects of energy and mobility in general, is that we can't focus on one thing. We need a bunch of things. We need to diversify and bring in all of these technologies in order to solve these problems that encompass all of them. Well, I think that's all of the longer questions I have. I just have a couple short answer questions I want you to answer as fast as you can. Can you do that? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe? Okay, I'll take that as yes. The first question is, Nature or inner city? Inner city. What is more important to focus on for development? Energy production or energy storage? Energy production. Energy storage seems to be the popular answer. Distributed energy or centralized energy? Centralized. Centralized. Next question. What is the most important factor to focus on to lower emissions? Quantitative thinking. Okay, what is that? So if you're talking qualitatively, if I'm, if I'm saying to you, yeah, we can solve energy with a solar panel or with wind, I'm not saying anything. It's a qualitative remark. You know, I'm a technician. As a technician, the only way you can communicate is to give the dimensions to what you're saying. Something, you know, say a piece of wood has to have a certain length to mean anything. The problem with the energy discussion, it is held without any quantitative dimensions to it. And that doesn't mean anything. So that's why I also said centralized. I did that on purpose because I know that people like to have distributed energy and solar here and solar there. And what we're doing solves a small part of the problem. The larger energy discussion, you cannot make the steel that we need in the world or the concrete that we need in the world with decentralized energy. How much energy is needed and how can we really produce that? How many windmills do you need to make that energy? How many biomass? I don't like biomass at all, but uh, how many solar panels do you need to make the energy that we need? Where can we realistically deploy that? You know, it's not realistic to say, okay, yeah, let's take a place in the desert uh, the size of France. If you cover that with solar panels, then we have all the energy we need. That's so far from reality to say that. Well, of course you can say it, but it doesn't have anything to do with reality because nobody's going to do that. It only makes sense to talk about it. People that can talk about that in a quantitative way. That's a very good point. I hadn't really considered that before, but that is a great point, and it's definitely something to keep in mind when we're discussing all of these topics. So the last question I have is, based on all of your experience in energy and mobility, everything you're seeing around the world, 
Do you think that we can achieve the goal of carbon neutrality by 2050 that's set out by the UNFCCC? I have to say that I, I can only believe in that if we are going towards nuclear. Quantitatively speaking, the only way I can see that happening is if you use nuclear to solve that. Fair answer. We're using nuclear. I always say we our cars drive on fusion technology. It's in the air. <laughs> it's solar. There are definitely some issues with nuclear, but it is an option that's out there. There, there are issues, but I have to meet the first person that's going to show me, for any country like Holland, this uh, amount of solar panels, and we have this amount of space, so uh, here you are, this problem solved. I have to meet this person because this person doesn't exist, because you cannot solve that problem with solar panels. So why not wind? Yeah, well, come to a point where these wind turbines are so close to, to houses, to where people actually live, you really have to think about, oh, is this a good idea? We're going to, to the limit of how many turbines you can place. What then? You know, uh, heat, heat from the earth? Yeah, there's a huge opportunity there, especially for heating of for houses. Extremely expensive, but... So we're running towards limits of what you realistically can do. Politicians can say anything they like. Oh, yeah, sure, we will cut our carbon emissions uh, then and then. But they have absolutely no idea how to do that. It's not a matter of just throwing money at it, because we have to make the concrete, we have to make the steel, or we have to settle for civilization or society where we have to uh, go back energy levels we had in the, in the 30s. <laughs> I don't see anybody happy to do that. I think geothermal is, again, one of those resources that's going to come into play. Politicians can say whatever they want, and it's up to us to hold them accountable, and it's up to us and corporations and startups like Squad Mobility to make sure people follow through. I'm a strong believer in innovation and technology. I think that's the only thing that can help save us. You know, um, best example is, of course, companies like Tesla and Elon Musk that are actually doing stuff and realizing stuff. That's the only solution we have, you know, same as the, the, the current corona crisis. The only solution we have is vaccination. And of course, politics can help there to motivate and to subsidize the right technologies. Especially here in Europe, you had weirdest stuff like biomass, what kind of trees that are being burned in office to solve the climate crisis. It's really ridiculous. Yeah, technology is without a doubt the driver, I think. Technology is the one thing that, that is consistently driving in the right direction. Is there anywhere that people can find you and Squad Mobility if they want to learn more? Squadmobility.com, LinkedIn, send me a message, Twitter. All right, well, thanks so much for coming on, Robert. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been a pleasure learning about squad mobility and what you see for the future of mobility. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Avery. Squad mobility's mission is so cool and really forward-thinking. So it was great to talk to their CEO and co-founder, Robert Hoovers. I truly think that throughout the world, mobility options like Squad Mobilities for personal use, as well as mobility as a service, are going to be popping up more and more often and becoming extremely beneficial for communities. There will be links to Squad Mobility's websites in the show notes below, as well as their socials if you want to connect. Please follow our socials in the show notes as well for updates and releases. If you have anything at all to say about the show, 
connect on any of our social media, and I'll be happy to hear from you. I hope this conversation was as interesting and, I don't know, I want to say futuristic as I found it to be. If you liked it, tell one person about it, tell them your favorite part, and get them to listen in too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Stay innovative. I'll see you next week.